Salvete omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 8b, Aeneid Book 1, Lines 494 to 519. In this episode, you will find out that Dido is awesome, and you will see Aeneas make the brave leadership decision to hide and see what happens. Haik dum dardani aine ai mirando identur, dum stupet ab tutu quaeret de fixus in uno, regin ad templum forma pulcherimandido, in cesit magna juvenum stipante caterua. Qualis in irotai ripis aut per yuga kinti, exercet diana coros, quam mile secutai, hincat quinc glomarantur oreades, illafaretram, Thert umero, gradiens quae deas supereminet omnes, latonae tacitum pertemptat gaudia pectus. Talis erat dido, talem se laeta ferebat, per medios instans operi regnisque futuris. Tum foribus divae, media testudine templi, saept armi solio qualte subnixare sedet, iura dabat legesque viris operumque laborem, Partibus aequat justis aut sorta trehebat. Cum subitae neas concursa cedere magno, antea sergestumque videt fortemque cloantum, tu crorum qualios aterquos aequora turbo, dispulerat penitus qualias avexerat oras. While these things seem to Dardanian Aeneas to be marveled at, while he stands astounded and clings fixed on one view, the Queen Dido, most beautiful in appearance, strides into the temple, with a great crowd of youths accompanying. Just as Diana trains her choruses on the banks of Eurotus, or through the ridges of Synthus, whom a thousand mountain nymphs having followed are gathered here and there, she bears a quiver on her shoulder and advancing she surpasses all the goddesses. Joy possesses Latona's silent heart. Such was Dido, so she carried herself happy through the middle, urging on the work and the future kingdoms. Then, at the doors of the goddess, in the middle of the vault of the temple, surrounded by weapons and resting high on her throne, she sat. She was giving rights and laws to men, and she was making the labor of the works equal in parts, or was drawing them by lot. When suddenly Aeneas sees approaching in a great crowd Antheus and Sergestes and brave Cloanthus and others of the Trojans whom the black whirlwind on the sea had driven apart and had carried deep within to other shores. At the same time he himself was amazed, at the same time Achates was struck with both happiness and fear. Eager they burned to join right hands, but the unknown situation disturbs their minds. They hide, and, enclosed in the hollow cloud, they watch what fate there is for the men, on what shore they are leaving the fleet, why they are coming. For having been chosen from all the ships, they went begging pardon and were seeking the temple with a shout. Where we last left our hero, he and faithful Achates had gone down into the middle of the city of Carthage, hidden in a cloak of invisibility mist sent by Venus. In the intervening lines before we pick the Latin back up, Aeneas arrives at a large building deep in the city, which Dido is constructing as a temple to Juno. Recall that Carthage was Juno's favorite. 
All around the outside of this temple, Aeneas notices carved relief artwork depicting the events of the Trojan War, and Virgil gives us an ekphrasis of the scenes sculpted into the walls. Aeneas sees Diomedes and the Trojan king Priam and Troilus killed by Achilles, and the Trojan women begging Minerva for aid, and Achilles dragging the body of Hector around the walls of Troy. And he even recognizes himself, and he dares to hope that he might find some help and relief here. This is what Aeneas is staring in amazement at when we resume the Latin and Dido strides into the temple. And among all the marvelous sights Aeneas has encountered inside of Carthage, Dido wins. Virgil uses an extended simile to compare Dido's appearance and manner to that of the goddess Diana. A few important details about Diana that need to come to mind when you read her in comparison to Dido. First, Diana was one of three maiden goddesses, along with Minerva and Vesta, who swore never to marry. At this point, Dido too had sworn a vow never to marry again after her husband Sychaeus had been murdered. Second, Diana was goddess of the hunt and of nature. There is an untamed wildness to her that you need to carry over into your picture of Dido's personality. Thirdly, this scene depicts Diana as larger than life, surpassing all other goddesses accompanied by thousands of nymphs and almost striding along mountaintops. This is the grandeur and confidence with which Dido enters the temple she is building. Diana was goddess of the moon and twin to Apollo. Keep this in mind because in Book 4, Aeneas will be compared to Apollo. These two are supposed to be a matching set. Also, deer were especially sacred to Diana. Keep this in mind because in Book 4, Dido will be compared to a deer being accidentally shot by a stray arrow. These lines mention Latona, Leto in Greek. She is a goddess herself and Diana and Apollo's mother by Jupiter. This doesn't really matter to understanding who Dido is, but Latona is proud of her daughter. Her silent heart is probably a transferred epithet from silent joy, although it could be that apart from giving birth to the twins, Latona has very little role in mythology or in the pantheon, so she herself is silent. Virgil has already made mention of Diana in Aeneid Book 1. When Aeneas encounters Venus in disguise, he doesn't believe that she is mortal, asking whether she is, quote, Apollo's sister. So a connection with Diana has already been somewhat made before this simile. And finally, this section is modeled on a Homeric simile. In the Odyssey, where Odysseus first sees the princess Nausicaa after he had washed ashore on Phaeacia. Listen to the following from the Odyssey, Book 6, in translation. And even as Artemis the archer roves over the mountains along the ridges of lofty Tegetus or Arimanthus, joying in the pursuit of boars and swift deer, and the wood nymphs, daughters of Zeus who bears the aegis, share her sport, and Leto is glad at heart. High above them all Artemis holds her head and brows, and easily may she be known, though all are beautiful. Notice in the lines immediately following the simile that Dido is called Lyta. She is happy in her work and in her responsibility and her leadership, despite her struggles and her adversity. This will not be the case for long, as Virgil will increasingly begin using the adjective in Felix to describe her. In addition to being happy, confident, powerful, and regal, Dido is also a fair leader, giving equal portions of work or drawing names by lot for responsibilities. It is in the midst of this scene that a group of Trojans appears. These are men whom Aeneas believed dead when he was searching the sea for them on top of the hill. The storm had blown them to a different coast, and they had made their way to Carthage just like him. And although Aeneas and faithful Achates are eager to greet their fellow Trojans, they don't reveal themselves quite yet. 
since they don't know about the new situation and about what type of leader Dido is or if she will look favorably upon the Trojans. Aeneas decides to remain invisible, wait it out, and see what happens to the Trojans who have already revealed themselves to her. In the event that Dido ordered them all executed, then at least Aeneas would have been able to escape the city and round up the rest of the men, which I suppose is the prudent choice to make, although not the most brave and inspiring of all his command decisions. Next time, Ilioneus, one of the Trojan representatives, will start talking, and he will continue talking until halfway through episode 10. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. In these lines, Virgil compares Dido to the goddess Diana. What elements or traits of the goddess are emphasized in the simile, and what do these tell us about who Dido is? How does Virgil both work within and adjust the Homeric tradition to fit the scene he crafts of Dido? Venus, in her earlier description of Queen Dido to Aeneas, used the phrase, Dux femina facti, a woman was the leader of the deed. How does Dido's leadership manifest itself in the scene as Aeneas watches her? Do you agree or disagree with Aeneas' decision to remain hidden and see how Dido reacts to the Trojan refugees? How might Caesar have approached a similar situation? Gratias ago pro ascoltando, Valete. <laughs>